before. If you could use more of that good news, then go to findpeacewithgod.net. It's from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Changing lives, line by line and verse by verse. The Way, 101.1. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Hamas says that Israel has no right to exist, as it looks like Netanyahu's government will no longer exist in Israel. Russia is ratcheting up their Ezekiel deployment. Could young adults be called the could-care-less generation? We'll answer that as we look at a sad but not surprising statistic. And the race for a digital dollar heats up as Turkey's hatred for the Jews heats up too. That's just some of what we'll discuss as we review The Signs of the Times, our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news, along with Mark Kirk, the senior pastor of Calvary Knoxville. I'm Greg Hilt, and thanks for joining us. To learn more about how to watch or listen to our program, uh, or to consume our program, rather, just download the Way Media app or visit thewaymedia.net. And today's show will also become Podcast 170, which, for those of you with food allergies, is certified prophetically organic and gluten-free. And you can consume this episode when you subscribe through Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Stitcher. Pastor Mark, there was no good news in our stack this week, but I bring good news. Hear it. Because today is National Donut Day. How about that? That's good news. Yes. And we have plenty of donuts here yes. uh, on hand. And so what's your favorite donut? My favorite donut, you're not going to be able to get Ma- unless you maple, travel down. Ma- maple bacon. No. It okay. is, it, well, I did the, and the place. This is it. Okay. It is the Donut Hole in Rosemary Beach, Florida, chocolate coconut cake donut. Ooh. That is my favorite donut. Now, they have a donut hole also in Destin, if you go down to that area, but the one I'm up, the where we go vacation, it's up toward the Seacrest, Seaside, Rosemary right. Beach area, and so almost, almost every day on vacation, I'll go get one of those. Okay. Now, is the coconut, is it sprinkled on top, or is it baked in? It is It is on top. It is, okay. is It's in it, Fre- though. It's connected coconut. to it. It's just like whatever. I guess the sugar makes it stick to it. It's a cake donut, and it's got, yeah. it's just fabulous. Wow. Yeah. Devil's Food Cake Chocolate. That sounds good. It's really good. Yeah, I what, like what's that. What's yours? That, that's my favorite. Uh, double chocolate. Uh, uh, cake donut uh, from Dunkin' Donuts. That's is, number two is, for me. Is my is my favorite uh, as an everyday donut. But right. then the pumpkin spice donut from Krispy Kreme in the fall. Yes, is my next one. See, no, and, I don't have. Yeah, that's I like. Those are okay. But I, yeah, but that one used to be my favorite. And it's number two now. Yes, uh, the coconut one pushed over the top once I tried it. Okay, but that's number two, and I love that. One. That's a great donut. Well, maybe we can take a staff meeting trip down to Rosemary Beach, there and then go. we can have an opportunity. Yeah, uh, to try that. That's right. So we'll give that a get your favorite donut today. Yes, get by your the fa- way, places absolutely. are giving them away. They are. Uh, yeah. Donuts giving away a couple of varieties. I think two different ones that are free. I know that uh, you can go to Krispy Kreme and get, I think, your choice of a free one. Yeah. Today. I know Duncan's giving a free donut out if you buy a cup of coffee, something right. like that. So. Right. But see, here, no, no, I know. Duck Donuts and Krispy Kreme, I know. you don't have to buy anything. You, you walk in, you get your donut, you go out like a bandit. Look at all this free advertising. I know. It. Yeah, you know for, and we don't for work all for, of our, for all of our 10 listeners. Yes. So. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, Pastor Mark, this is our Truth in 10 segment, where you answer questions in 10 minutes or less. Yes. And this question comes from Barbara, and Barbara listens to us from Augusta, Georgia. I wonder if she's on the golf course there at Augusta National. Yeah, I don't know. She's right on there. If if so, Barbara, let us know, because we maybe want to do a remote, a Signs of the Times remote down there. That would be nice. And with our free donut. It would be beautiful. With With our our free free donut. donut. Exactly. All right. Barbara's question, uh, it goes like this. Um, my little sister gave me a dream catcher. I don't want to hurt her feelings by not accepting the gift because she thinks it's a beautiful decoration. 
But what does the Bible say about having these types of things, and how should I handle this without hurting her feelings? I believe these symbols are idol worship, but I am sure she doesn't see it that way. Yeah. I love her, and I don't want to hurt her feelings, and I'm not sure what to do here. Yeah, this is a really, again, this is a question that a lot of people have out there, believe it or not. It may not be about a dream catcher, but I guarantee you that a lot of you have this question when I explain what I'm going to explain, because I did, and I think most believers do, and that is dealing with family members when it comes to sensitive issues that possibly could put you in a situation of compromising God's word. It's one thing with a friend, that's hard enough. Then you have a family member. Um, first of all, you know, what is a dream catcher? Again, in Native American cultures, a dream catcher uh, is a handmade willow hoop. You've probably seen them. They have the feathers that hang down off of them, woven into a net or a web. And they're supposed to, again, just do that, catch dreams. Uh, they hang them over your bed, over cradles, and there's a spiritual kind of a, there's a spiritual side that is non-biblical to it. So it is connected to, I would say, the demonic realm, the spiritual demonic realm, if there's any uh, connection. It has nothing to do with the Bible, nothing to do with God. It is just basically spiritism that is anti or against or outside of the Bible. So uh, it would fall in that category of, of, of again, doctrines or, or, or falling in that demonic category of, of spiritism. Now, a lot of people see these kind of things and say, well, what's the big deal? There's no harm in that. We don't believe in it, and uh, we're not connected to demons, so no worries. And I realize that. There is a degree to where, you know, the demonic realm can't affect us unless we want them to or ask them to. But there is a connection to the demonic realm with these spiritual um, articles and devices, and i.e. idols. And um, God talks about it in his word. And the problem is, it's not the article itself. It's not the dream catcher. It's not the 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 uh, Native American like statue that has some spiritual con- connection that you bring back from Africa or or even, you know, the totem poles or the different things or the idols, you know, in, that Israel was involved with when they were, um, uh, you know, coming out of Egypt and all that. It's the demons behind them that's the problem. And Paul talks about that in the New Testament. But the Old Testament, God says in Deuteronomy 32, uh, verses 16 through 17, he says, They stirred God to jealousy with strange gods, and abominations they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods. Now, what were they sacrificing to? Their idols. Their spiritual articles. Their dream catchers, if you will. Their you know, fill in the blank. Things that are spiritual articles that are not connected to the Bible. He goes on, To gods they've not known. To new gods that have come recently whom your fathers had never dreaded. And there's other places, um, again, Leviticus 17, 7, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they played the harlot. Um, again, it talks about in 1 Timothy 4, 1, uh, that we worship false gods sometimes unwittingly, um, evil spirits. Here's the problem. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 that the idol is nothing. But then he goes on to say, but the demon behind the idol is something. So an idol's nothing. A dream catcher, it's a, it's a thing with a little web on it and maybe some feathers hanging down. It, it in and of itself has no power. However, because of what it represents in the fact that the Native Americans give it power, and there are those I know out west when I lived in Santa Fe and, and different spiritist areas, they give these things power. They really believe there's something spiritual taking place, especially those who really hang that over the crib of the baby or put mm-hmm. it in their room or do whatever, hang them from their car. Some people just see it as symbolic hanging from your car. And I get that um, in some ways, but I would I would caution against it. Um, I, again, I don't think that you're going to, you know, the, there's a demon sitting on that article and it's going to you know, bite you when you pick it up or something. But the scripture does say there is a connection to the demonic realm. And Paul does say that behind these spiritual articles connected to false religion, which that one is, there are demons. So Paul's encouragement was just stay away from it. Look, don't even go there. Why, why have something that is connected to the demonic realm? Even if you're not honoring the demonic realm with it, why even connect to it? Because there is something going on there, Greg. There really is. And you'll see, for example, over the years, I've seen people that have had things like dream catchers or idols of these other gods in their homes. I remember one particular gentleman, and he was having all these demonic things happening. And I said, look, get rid of that thing. That's that's a demonic idol uh, from another religion. You shouldn't. Yeah, but it's just something I picked up when I was traveling. I said, I understand that. To you, it means nothing. Said, but there is a connection. For, there's some mysterious connection to these things, and God warns about it in His Word. Get rid of it. If I remember correctly, and I feel pretty confident I do, as many years ago, He got rid of it, and all of it stopped. The demonic activity in His home stopped. Everything stopped. And so that's why the Lord says, when you when you go in the land, He said, destroy the idols, destroy all these things. Not just so you're not tempted to go back and worship them, 
but also so that there's any if there's any demonic connection or whatever, you're getting rid of it. Cleanse your home, cleanse your nation, cleanse your life of these things that are connected to spiritual things other than God, which in reality are demonic things, because the demonic realm is the only opposing realm, if you will. Now, that's my counsel. That's what it is. Now, how do you handle it with your sister? Because I want to be very sensitive in this, and I think there's a way you can do it that there's not an easy way to do this, but there is a way, I think, that has great tact and I think can keep your relationship hopefully intact. It may not, but you can try. I know that uh, it's something that I've had to use in the past, and uh, Barbara, it may be something that, that works for you. When you talk to your little sister, I would first of all probably approach it this way. I would say, thank you so much for the gift. I, I know that was your heart to give me that. But this really brings up an issue between God and I. And I would make it between you and God, not between mm. you and your little sister. If it's an issue between you and your little sister, then she's going to feel like, well, you don't like me. Well, you've rejected me. Well, you don't take my gift. No, no. See, I want you to understand this. You know, it's not about you. It's about my commitment to God. And in God's word, God says that even if I don't worship these things that have these connections to the spirit realm, which again, the dream catcher comes out of native religions that are against the Bible. Um, if I do that, the Bible forbids me. And you could even share Deuteronomy 32 and other places. Look up in the scripture where it talks about the demons behind idols and not worshiping idols and have, and, and God telling them, destroy everything, get rid of everything that, you know, in your home that could you know, pull you away or not mm-hmm. be of God. Yeah. And say, so I appreciate your gift. It's very sweet of you. And it's not that I don't appreciate what you've done for me, but this is really an issue between God and I. And if I do this, I feel that I'll be compromising against God. And, and I can't do that because God has told me in his word not to. Now, I wish I could say that she's going to totally understand and go, oh, well, that's sweet. I like that. And thank you. She may not. Depends on where she is in heart. That could get somebody very upset. But it's a lot smoother and more gentle and tactful to make it a, 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 an issue between you and your God. Because it really is. It is. Well, look, you know, look at Potiphar's wife yeah. and Joseph. She says, have sex with me. And Joseph was like, no, I don't want to have sex with you. I reject you as a person. No, that wasn't what he did. He said, how can I do this and sin against God? So he made it an issue between himself and his God. And what she needs to understand as your sister is, although I love you, I have to put God first. And if I choose something that God tells me not to be involved with over my family or and put my family over that, I'm choosing that over God. So it's not about you. It's not about rejecting you. I appreciate what you've done. But this is between God and I. I can't compromise against him and hurt him because he's told me to stay away from this. So it really, that just, it, you know, it makes God is the one really saying she, you can't do it, Barbara, not you. And that's the truth. So I would pray about a way to present it in such a way that it's an issue between you and God. And anything connected to the spirit realm other than the Bible, God's word tells believers to stay away from. And so I wouldn't open that door. I wouldn't invite that door. And and as I said, I don't fully understand how this works in the spirit realm. But being saved now for 30 years, 31 years or so, and being a pastor now for 20 some years, uh, 27, 20, whatever, 25 or up years, 26 years, however long it's been, um, I have seen a real connection to articles, things bringing demonic activity into people's lives and into their homes. Do I fully understand it? No. All I could say is for whatever the reason, demons use those articles as an opportunity to latch on and get in how they do it. I don't know exactly completely how it works, but I would say, get away from it, make it an issue between you and your God, and then just pray that God touches her heart. And hopefully uh, it will not bring a huge division between you and your sister. But let me, let me finalize it by saying this. Even if it does bring division with you and your sister, doing it in a tactful, thoughtful, prayerful way, you've got to do it. Um, Jesus said this, he who loves father or mother or family more than me is not worthy of me. And you do not want to put yourself in a situation where you're saying, God, I love you, but I love my family more than you. You just can't do that. So do the right thing. Pray for courage. I think if you do it in that way, that'll be the most tactful way. And then trust in God to move in your sister's heart. Well, Barbara, I hope that answers your question. And if you've got a Bible question or a prophecy question, uh, we encourage you to reach out to us at thewaymedia.net. You can also do it through the Way Media app. Just navigate to Signs of the Times and click Ask a Prophecy Question. Pastor Mark, before we get into articles, uh, I want to uh, kind of dovetail off of that and look at the reverse reverse side of this coin. Yeah. When we go to the book of Acts and we see the Apostle Paul and the power 
with which God gave Paul, so much so that handkerchiefs were were sought after. Right. Uh, you know, as as far as having a healing power. Yeah. And wasn't there something about maybe Peter's shadow or yeah. there was some okay. So let's and 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 the same side in terms of spiritism, in terms of people looking not necessarily to the occult in that sense, but maybe ascribe, ascribing power to rocks or crystals sure. or things like that. Yeah. And and they're thinking that they're it's for good or that's that's God God has has empowered this thing, and maybe they even use the scriptures with reference to to Paul and to Peter right. to say, well, because of that, you know, we have this power in these rocks or these crystals or whatever. Speak to that for a minute. Yeah, there was a special anointing on Peter, Greg. There was a special anointing on Paul. We all have access to the Spirit. I don't want to say that we don't. We do. And I, I do believe that God could raise someone up today, just like he did Paul and Peter and do that. But these were the apostles. These were the 12 that the Lord chose. And I do believe Paul was the 12th one to take Judas's place. I don't want to get into theological, um, um, you know, yeah. problem there with that. I'm just saying that's why I'm mentioning Paul and Peter in the same breath as, a, as a apostles or disciples, if you're sure. wondering. But God gave them a special position and special power. And I kind of look at it like um, when Jesus walked the earth, he healed everyone. But today, everyone doesn't get healed. And many false teachings come out of, okay, well, if Jesus healed everyone, then God wants everyone healed. Well, that's not, certainly he wants everyone ultimately healed, but God doesn't heal everyone today because when Jesus was here, the kingdom of God was at hand. He said to them, the kingdom of God is at hand. That means I am the kingdom of God. I'm, I am the walking kingdom of God. So within the kingdom of God, every blind, all the blind will see, all the lepers will walk, all the deaf will hear. So as he walked in that kingdom of God authority, everyone around him was healed. There wasn't anybody that wasn't healed that came to him because he was the kingdom of God was at hand. It was with him. When he went back, that stopped. Yes, still healings. Yes, God does healings. God's power. I believe in all that. We saw it with Peter. We saw it with Paul. But it's almost like where the prophets had a special anointing, the spirit upon them. They could do things that others couldn't do. I think there was a special anointing on Peter and Paul and what God was doing in the early church. I do believe still today God's power is available for the church. I believe in the, the, the gifts of the spirit. I believe in the power of the spirit. I believe in all of that. So don't take me wrong when I say that. But I think that there were uh, it was a, it, there were God anoints certain people uh, to do certain things, and God anointed them to do certain things with a certain power, and allowed them to do that. And so again, that, that d- transcended their body and into objects. Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. He, God allowed that, and there was also with that, Greg. There's we can't lose the element of faith of the person involved in it. For example, they okay. believed that if they touched the garment of Jesus, they'd be healed. Well, those there were many that believed. If I touch this this you know handkerchief from Paul, I'll be healed. So I do believe God had power He used to emanate from that. But also there was faith on the other side, and I equate it to a special anointing again. Even as I do the prophets, because you think about uh, the prophets. Even remember, they buried this one prophet, the Bible tells us. He, they put him in his tomb, and I forget, I don't know if it mentions who even the prophet was. It may, it may, it may have been Elisha. Either way, they buried the prophet, and, and, and somebody else was getting buried. Yes. And, and a war was happening, so quickly they threw them in that tomb, and he, on top of the prophet, yes. and, and he came to life. Came to life yes. So the actual, here's what happens. Yes. Moses, when he came down from Sinai, he glowed. So here's what we see about the power of God. It somehow is a, is a substance that absorbs into our very being when we're around it. It actually Moses actually glowed from the presence of God that he had absorbed, almost like those. I hate to think of it this way, but when you hold those things up to the light and they absorb the light and glow in the dark, the glow. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the prophets would receive God's power, and the very thing you know here, take my staff, and even their their very objects had power in them. So the point is, I do believe in God's power today, the same as it was back then. I want to make that clear. But I also believe there are certain people in certain seasons God gives an extra measure of anointing and power to because of what God is doing. And I believe Paul and Peter had a special measure of anointing, not that we can't be anointed, not that we can't be used to heal and all that during that time where God even allowed, it says, supernatural special miracles by the handkerchiefs of Paul, etc. Some of it by the faith of people that were believing the miracles they'd seen Jesus do and now the, the early church doing as well as just simply God's power being manifested through them. Yeah, and I would imagine today, if that were to happen, if God were were to allow that to happen, what would probably end up happening is people would worship the objects. Yeah, yeah, well, and, and, and not and recognize see, Greg, the power behind and I, and it. And yeah, no, that's a great point. I'm yeah. sure you're you're probably getting at that, which is a yeah. great point to bring out. Again, it wasn't that the handkerchief was to be worshipped; it was the emanating power from Paul yeah. 
coming through that and the faith of the person. And you're right. Many people today would they, probably do that. Yeah. They, well, they take objects yeah. and they, they'll sell you their um, anointed handkerchief or their this. Uh, and that to me yeah. is that's a, that's just or anointing a, oil. Well, yeah, that's just a yeah. trick. They're taking advantage of people and that's a trick. Yeah. So, yeah. OK, well, fair enough. Yes. I wanted to get the balance. No, on that that's well. great. I'm glad yeah. you did. That's yeah. good. Yeah. All right, let's go to Israel. Now, before we go to Israel. Oh, that's right. You can know I what? deal with something? You know, and can I tell you something? And so I've got notes. We talked about it pre-show. Man, I'm with you, brother. And I just, you know what? I get so ex- in my train of thought. Greg, let me tell you, you're encouraging to me. I'll tell you why. Okay. I won't get a sidetrack. But I can <laughs> literally, I get so focused on my teaching on Sunday morning that I can write a note. And I'll put a sticky in the middle of my pulpit about something I'm going to say before the teaching. Yes. And I totally ignore it and start my teaching. It is, it is, it's maddening. It's mad. Yes. Why didn't you announce it? I said, I put it with a sticky. Here's what, when once we get focused on where we're going, yes. sometimes it's hard to break out of that. I know. Well, anyway. before the airplane leaves for Israel, Pastor Mark yes. has an announcement to no, make. No, I want to make a correction yes. and also a clarification yes. from last week. We talked last week about thought for thought, um, uh, Bibles and translations and the difference. And transliteration. And transliteration, yes. And I was equating transliteration with thought for thought. And there is a difference in those two. So I want to clarify that. Thought for thought is just that. Like the NIV and all we talked about. It's it's where they take the thought of it. They don't put the actual words and put down the translation. They put the thought down. And I was kind of warning against those. They, they're not, you know, again, I think for a new believer, you can use that. But not to make that your study Bible. Then you get over into actual translations like the uh, King James and New King James from the Textus Receptus, and you get word for word. And I was transliteration, I was equating to thought for thought, and that's not exactly accurate. Transliteration is a type of conversion of a text from one script to another that involves swapping letters in a predictable way. Okay, so that's the official definition. I guess to sum that up, it would be it's when a word doesn't exist in another language or even the letters to make that word, you've got to create that word to get it into that other language. And so it is a type of translation, but it's called a transliteration because you're basically creating something that's not there to represent something that is there. So I wanted to clarify that. I know for a lot of people, uh, you're probably wondering, well, you know, what's the big deal on that? But again, it is, we want to make sure that the clarification is out there on that. Let's just remove the word transliteration out of what we talked about last week and say this, there's thought for thought and there's translation. Look for translations and avoid thought for thought, at least for your study Bibles, because you're never going to really know what God actually said. You're going to only know what men, what men translated their thoughts as God said to you. And the NIV, the New International Version, is what? It is a thought, for thought. It's thought, it is for, a thought. thought for thought. Okay. It is not a word for word. And I think they have actually tried now to get a, maybe a Strong's, where you can convert over to Strong's and get the words from the NIV Boy. as close, but it's still a thought That'd for be tough. thought. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I would okay. stick with, again, Textus Receptus. If you're looking for a Bible that's translation, I would look for Textus Receptus Bibles. Uh, that just means received text in the Latin. And that is a very good body of translation uh, documents that we get uh, that gives you an actual translation. And I think one of the most accurate that you'll find. Okay. Well, uh, our first article from Israel, uh, Pastor Mark, is not a thought for thought or transliteration. It's the literal uh, words yes. uh, from Hamas's co founder, uh, where he says this on UK TV Israel has no right to exist. Yeah. This yeah. is from timesofisrael.com. Again, this shouldn't surprise us, but if you're new to the show or you're new as a believer or you're new to prophecy, you need to understand that when you see these conflicts in the Middle East, it's not just I don't like you and you don't like me. It's I want you dead and I don't even want you to exist. When Hamas and these guys attack Israel, their goal is wipe them out. It's not a disagreement even about land. If you gave them all the land, let's say you gave all the land to uh, Hamas, they would still want to kill every Jew. That wouldn't settle the issue. It's been said more than once. If if Hamas laid their weapons down right now, if those who opposed Israel laid their weapons down right now, there would be peace in the Middle East. But if Israel laid their weapons down right now, the Jews would be slaughtered. So that gives the idea. Again, this article says shortly after the ceasefire takes effect, uh, Sky News uh, interviews Mohammed El-Zahar, who holds terror groups' attacks on Israel's crowded civilian areas. In this rare interview, this co-founder, uh, um, uh, Mumad Al-Zahar, told Britain Sky News that Israel has no right to even exist and said the terror group's strategy was to target Israel. Well, listen, their strategy was to target Israel population areas. They want to kill women. They want to kill children. They want to kill all the Jews. 
don't be deceived by anything else you hear in the liberal media when you're watching what they're saying and they try to blame Israel. This is a fight for survival. It'd be like somebody wanting to kill you and your children and your family, and they're constantly trying to find a way to do it. You better fight, and you better defend them. It goes on in stilted English. Al-Zahar explained that Hamas' victory, and they always say every time there's a war, even though they got pounded, they still say they won because <laughs> of the pride. Yes. Hamas' victory, in quotes, was a function of the group's ability to fire rockets on densely populated Israeli civilian areas. They're so saying our, the victory was that we were able to fire right into where their children were and their women and this kind of thing. The new element in the latest round of fighting, El-Zahar said, is the degree of resistance movement, particularly in Gaza, to attack the Israeli targets at very important points including most of the overcrowded area in the civilian society. So we're shooting for the crowded, you know, homes. So far, uh, so for how long the Israeli, how long will the Israelis accept that, I think is the main issue. Now, that's an interesting comment that he made there. Hamas and other Gaza terror groups launched, get this, over 4,300 rockets at Israel during the 11 days of fighting. At times, forcing people living near Gaza. That, that's 4,300. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, think about it. That's Astounding. In 11 days. In 11 days. I mean, I can't do the math. Do the math. If you yeah, want to do, do it, the how, math, much, how, how many, many per rockets day? per day? Think about it. You could do it by the minute there, yeah. At times, they're forcing people, that said, living near Gaza into bomb shelters around the clock. Stone challenged Arzahar, that is the man doing the, the uh, interview. He said, you're firing rockets and missiles from civilian areas here in Gaza at civilians in Israel. It's not acceptable. That's a war crime. And Al-Zahar rejected the accusation that Hamas endangers. I mean, basically he said, no, that's not a war crime. We'll do what we want. And then he went on to say, you, you actually killed your own people. You know, Greg, it's interesting. When they, there's a chart out there that shows how many of Hamas's rockets, and they could track them by satellite, mm-hmm. how many of Hamas's own rockets came up out of the Gaza Strip and didn't make it out of the Gaza Strip? They landed on their own people on the border. They killed many of their own people. They destroyed many of their own buildings and many of their own homes. I mean, huge numbers. It, it's shocking to see how many they bombed because their, their technology is so bad that they destroy themselves, and then, of course, they blame Israel. The media sees that, look what Israel's doing. Well, yeah, Israel is blowing things up, defending themselves, but much of the damage was done by Hamas themselves. And um, he goes on and says, you know what, you're endangering your own people, the interview said. You're, you're blowing them up. And he said this, not a single rocket was sent from a civilian area, because, again, he said, you're also bringing, shooting them. Let me back up. He said, you're not only endangering your own people, you're shooting the rockets from civilian areas, so when Israel goes in to defend, they've got to blow those areas up, which means... Civilians get hurt, but there's no way to stop the enemy without doing that, and that's Hamas's fault. They're the ones putting the bombs where the civilians are. And he says, look, you're the one doing this. He says, we fired the rockets from the border. We didn't put any of them where people were. Again, just expect them to lie, but lying. Um, He says, no, we've seen video of rockets being fired from within built-up areas in Gaza City at Israeli communities. He responded, we've seen it. He said, well, this is not against Israeli communities. Communities, It's against Israeli occupation. This is against Israeli aggression. Now, remember, they say Israel's occupying their land. God gave Israel that land. And God says he gave it. God took them out for 2,000 years as a chastisement because they rejected their Messiah. But then God brought them back, and he said, I'm going to bring them back in the last days, and that's yeah. what we're watching. So they were firing rockets against uh, accusations. Yeah, not I mean, against literal no lo- people. Yeah, there's I know. no there's no logic to this, Greg. It yeah. is pure driven hatred. hatred. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. So no logic. Uh do you have time to share really quickly uh what Israel did in terms of yes. tricking them with the leadership? Yes, yeah. I thought we'd shared that, but okay. maybe just with the body, but yeah. um yeah, this is interesting. Israel knows now what Hamas does. Whenever Israel goes in on a ground offensive to stop these things, and that's rare, but they do go in on ground offensives. The Hamas leadership goes in these underground tunnels. Well, Israel had mapped all the underground tunnels. They knew where Hamas fled to, the leadership. So they made an announcement. We're going in on the ground. We're going to go in on a ground offensive. Well, they were tricking them. They didn't really go in on a ground offensive. Well, all the media picked up on that and told everyone in Gaza, all of Hamas, all the world, Israel's going in today on a ground offensive. So when they announced it, the Hamas leadership ran to these underground tunnels and just scrunched in there to protect themselves Israel was waiting on those to fill up. They blew those tunnels up once they were filled up with the Hamas terrorists and wiped out a huge number of Hamas leadership. They said this happened in 35 minutes. They made the announcement. They gave them 30 minutes to get in there. Boom, they blew it up, and they took out major portions of Hamas leadership. Wisdom and years of experience against working, working against the enemy of Hamas. But God has given the Jews great wisdom. 
And um, this, to is defend what, themselves. this is what they're facing, and God is helping them in yeah. their battle. And we need to be standing with them and praying for them as well. Absolutely. Uh, well, uh, that's not the end of our discussion in Israel. When we come back, we're going to talk about some political things happening in Israel that could spell the end for Benjamin Netanyahu's government and what that could potentially mean prophetically for the nation. We'll talk about that plus much more as Signs of the Times continues right here on WIAM. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. WIAMLP 101.1 FM, Knoxville. It's Crazy Money Day. Hey, I'm Chuck Bentley with my Money Life from Crown. Last month, 34-year-old actor Zachary Horowitz was arrested and accused of swindling his college buddies and their families in a $690 million Ponzi scheme. According to IDS News, four Indiana University alum, all friends of Horowitz, started JJMT Capital. They invested in a limited liability company that Horowitz created in California. They thought he was buying distribution rights to movies and selling them to online platforms like Netflix and HBO for a major profit. They didn't know he was using the funds to purchase a $6 million home and to repay previous investors. Ponzi schemes involve financial scams promising high returns with little risk. The desire for quick profits blinds investors, especially when there's some kind of relationship with the scammer. Eventually, the scheme collapses because they can't keep up with the payouts. So here's my advice. Request a company's financial records to verify that they're legit. Do a background check on brokers or products and check out the SEC's database for free corporate information. And don't ignore these red flags. The promise of high returns with minimal risk. Overly consistent returns, unregistered investments, unlicensed sellers, and secretive, sophisticated strategies. Deceivers infiltrate churches, country clubs, and community organizations. So protect yourself. Remember, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And if you're struggling with credit card debt, I recommend Christian Credit Counselors. They can create a debt management plan that will work for you. For more information, call the Crown Helpline. 800-722-1976 or visit online at crown.org slash ccc. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. In tough times, especially in those seasons where you don't want to, it's always good to sing a song unto the Lord. It always seems to lift you up. Like, I don't want to sing anything right now. I know it's the heaviness, isn't it? You could be inches away of just saying, don't call me pleasant, you call me Mara. And, well, let's sing a song. I don't want to sing a song under the Lord. As a matter of fact, you know, I think I'll go to Bible study, but I'm getting in there late, man. I don't want to hear any of that worship. I don't want to sing. Just give me the word. But you know, there's a praise, a garment of praise that replaces the spirit of heaviness that only comes from the Lord. For more biblical encouragement to help you grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus, visit edtaylor.org. Again, that's edtaylor.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor is a presentation of Calvary Aurora. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back, everyone, to the second half of our weekly look at Bible prophecy that we find in the world's news. These are the Signs of the Times for Friday, June 4th, 2021. This is episode 170 on our podcast network, available in all sorts of places. And if you want to know where those places are, you can visit us at thewaymedia.net and click on Signs of the Times. All right, uh, let's continue uh, from our first half talking about Israel. And this article here from um, all, allisrael.com, yeah. it says, In stunning end to historic day in Israeli politics, Netanyahu's rivals band together to form a new government, and Netanyahu could be out of office in 12 days. Yeah. This is dated June 2nd. Uh, Pastor Mark, please explain all of this. Yeah, and now it's 10 days. Let me read this, and then we're going to talk about this for a while, because I want you guys to understand, and I don't fully grasp everything, but I learn more every election, so I want you to at least understand what I understand about a very unusual government in Israel, but what's happening. Um, Again, Yair Lapid presented his recommendation for a new government to President Reuven Rivlin, 
About a half hour to go until the midnight deadline, Lapid and Naftali Bennett, head of the Yamina party, mustered eight parties to sign with them to form the change government. Now, here's what's going on. You've got over them. Explain this before I even go on in the article. It won't make sense. Israel has a prime minister. Their prime minister is the same thing as what we call our president. So their president is their prime minister. Here's where it gets tricky. They have a president as well, but their president is really a figurehead. He has no real power. He does have the power. He's the one you have to say, hey, I'm going to try to form a government. So there is power and there's a position. But it's almost like the Queen of England and and the Prime Minister of, of, of Britain, you know. The Prime Minister is really the one that has the power and the Queen's kind of the figurehead. That's how the Prime Minister of Israel is the one with the power. The, the President is the figurehead. But then when they elect people or they're putting a government together, um, then they have to get enough groups in their section and present that to the president. And he goes, okay, try to put your groups together now to form a government. So let me read it and I'll try to explain it more later as they do their hope and change government, which is interesting. <laughs> Seriously, they're saying that's an interesting phrase. Yeah, well, isn't they're, it? they're called their change government. Yeah. It's the same idea as what president Obama brought in. Um, he says, I commit to you, Mr. President, that this government will work to serve all the citizens of Israel, including those who aren't members of it. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. It's usually not true, but yes. politicians say that. With respect, we will respect those who oppose us and do everything in our power to unite all parts of the Israeli society, Lapid said. This is a dramatic development, and it is, and I'll explain more in a moment. We've made history, said Marav Michaeli, head of the Labor Party. Michaeli made some of the most painful compromises in trying to put this government together, but she said her end goal was to unseat Benjamin Netanyahu, and tonight we succeeded. They hate the left over there hates Benjamin Netanyahu as much as the left here hated Donald Trump. So you got a picture. This is really crazy, Greg. This is where I see a spirit behind this. It's a rabid hatred. Because the exact same hatred and approach uh, toward the conservative leader of Israel is exactly what happened with the conservative leader of America. Mm-hmm. It is hatred led by emotions, and they will literally do Anything to get that person out of there, even sacrificing their own lives, sacrificing their own country, sacrificing their own families, sacrificing their own future. It doesn't matter. It's like the kamikaze pilot. If I'm going down, I will crash my plane into your boat if that's what it takes to take you out. And I'm willing to die for it. That's how people here, they called it Trump derangement syndrome. Well, now they have uh, Netanyahu derangement syndrome on the left in Israel. It's the same exact thing. I'm watching the same spirit behind this habit it's very interesting to watch netanyahu says has been israel's longest serving prime minister 12 consecutive years now he's actually served for a total i think of 15 he served for three then he was out for years then back in i remember being on an israel trip and my guide saying to me netanyahu will never be our leader again and i, I thought oh, okay well now he's been back in 12 years since i heard that but either way uh, the lapid government uh was uh, bennett government two different guys, was pieced together with eight vastly different parties. Uh, This was no easy task, and Lapid needed every one of those parties in order to reach the 61-seat majority. Negotiations came down to the wire. Parties spent the day quibbling over final details, such as cabinet placements and rotation order, because they're going to take turns ruling. Oh, my. Yes, I'll tell you how bizarre this is in a moment. The parties ranged from right wing to left wing, making agreements much harder to reach. The parties on the right are the Yamina, New Hope, uh, and Israel, you know, what they're saying, New Hope, and, of course, Change Party. The left-wing parties, Labor and Merits, the uh, center parties are Lapid's, Yesh, Atid, and Blue and White. Again, they're called the New Hope and Yisrael uh, Betenu Party, so they're not really saying New Hope and Change, they're saying Change, but the, the idea's in there. Yeah. And so that's what they're, uh, again, putting together. The Arab Party, here's the thing that's amazing. There's an Arab Party included in this this time. Ra'am, a primary issue is who will serve on the first judicial selection committee. Yamin's number two, uh, again, this just talks about how they're going to go back and forth and who's going to serve. I'm not going to waste our time on that. But the second major issue is whether the Islamic party, Ra'am, led by Mansour Abbas, would sign on. They're waiting to see if he's really going to do that. This is basically a terrorist group. This is a, these, There's four on it in this party. And they're going to be given a turn at the leadership. They're going to be involved in oh, decision-making for the nation of Israel. Now, that'll come into play in just a moment, okay? Yes. Um, again, Pr- Prime Minister Netanyahu is doing what he can to prevent it, um, and etc. Here's what's, Let me now talk. Let's talk about this, because it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Even reading the article, I can see how this wouldn't really make sense, because if I didn't know what I knew, it wouldn't make sense to me. 
and I'll share what I do know. Here's how their government works. Their government is broken up into a bunch of different groups. Imagine just different groups, and the different groups have different names, and they all have different stands for things they want to happen politically. It's not Republican-Democrat, although they do have a left and right, but made up within their left and right is multiple groups, okay, multiple. So you run for office. You try to put together as many groups with you as you can, right, and you get there's a 61 total number of people in these groups, and you have to reach a 61 amount to be able to actually have to form a government. And then once you get to 61, you go to your government, your guys in your groups, and say, oh, look, i got to form a government. Will you guys join with me? Well, we don't like what you're doing here in this area. Well, okay, let's compromise. And you try to work out a deal with them. Will you join with me to get enough people to be with government? Oh, well, we don't like what you're doing there. Well, then let's work that out. And everybody has to give some, take some, give up. And now it's so crazy that Bennett and Lapid, which are the two main ones putting this government together, the bottom line is get Netanyahu out regardless, right? They're saying, we're going to split the leadership. You'll lead for a while, then you'll lead for a while, then I'll lead for a while, then you'll lead for a while, then I'll back and forth. And they're, they're letting all these groups have different people in different positions, different leadership, trying to run things, and all trying to compromise on what they want. Even to this point, bringing in for the first time this, this terrorist, the Ra'am, which is connected to the Muslim Brotherhood, which is a terrorist group, allowing them for the first time to be a part of this government and what the, and what the agreement they made to get these guys in is that we will let the arab peoples illegally build on other people's land and stay there if you'll join us wow. okay all right we'll do it yeah. so basically they're saying come in and take over and you can just build illegally on government land or whatever and and it's you can stay there it's yours and do whatever you want i mean it's it'd be like saying to mexico hey come on in and just you know uh, well, we're kind of saying that. That's not a good yeah. example. It'd be like saying to somebody else in another country that we're not just opening the doors to, come in and we'll just give you our country. And so um, it's it's insane. It's crazy. And so they've been able to piece all these different groups together, Greg. You've got left-wing involved in this. You've got right-wing involved in this. You've got terrorist uh, figureheads involved in this. You've got all this. And they've all come together to say, we hate Netanyahu. We all agree that we hate him more than what we want in our personal political desires. So we're going to give up some of our personal political desires because we hate him so much to get rid of him. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when Jesus came and you had Herod and Pilate and all these people that didn't like each other and they fought each other. The Sadducees, Pharisees hated each other. Yes. They came together to kill Jesus because they hated Jesus more than they, they hated want, each other. Than they wanted each other. Yes. So you've got this government with all these groups now together. It is very fragile. In other words, there's 10 days to go. If Netanyahu can throw a firebomb in the middle of it and make somebody really mad, right. he might be able to disrupt it. If he can't do that, they're literally going to push him out of office and this piecemeal, nobody agreeing, everybody disagreeing, allowing things they shouldn't allow, putting the nation in chaos and disorder is going to take over. It is one of the worst possible scenarios. They're in as bad a shape now as we are in America. And, and I'm not really not even concerned about the governance part of it. I'm concerned about military protection part of it. Let's get to that. Okay. Because I'm glad you brought that up. That's where my mind was going. Well, you're exactly yeah. right, because here's what happens. It would appear that there will be enough votes to approve any military action that's needed. But now, for the first time, you've got people that literally, for example, the Muslim Brotherhood leadership that they've allowed in, Ra'am, these four that represent that group. Right. If Gaza attacks again, they're going to say, we can't stop them and don't fight back. Exactly. Their vote will be, here's the, literally, literally, Greg, exactly, they have authority yeah. to say, we want them to shoot rockets at yeah. us and destroy us. Do not stop them. Do not use the Iron Dome. Allow them to destroy us. Because their goal is destroy Israel, destroy the Jews. And so because of that, you now have people in your government. Imagine this, and listen to this. You actually have leadership in your own government that wants to destroy themselves. Does that sound familiar? Oh, very familiar. We have leadership in America right now that hates our own country, and they want to destroy America. They do not like America. They don't like who we are. They don't like our founding. They don't like anything about us. And they want to destroy us. You know, we it's taken a while for, I think, many people to admit that, but now it's so obvious you can't deny it. The exact same scenario is now happening in Israel. Now, I want to get to a larger picture here. Okay. So you see America turning on itself, division, people willing to sacrifice, do whatever needs to be done to get Donald Trump out of office. Now you go over to Israel. 
You have division, chaos, doing whatever needs to be done to get Netanyahu out of office. These conservative leaders that are trying to hold to some level, look, they may not be the nicest guys, the greatest guys. I'm not making an argument for that. But trying to hold some kind of law and order and principles and right direction in place, and they'll do whatever it takes to destroy it. And, and to turn it over to a more liberal, all-inclusive government for their nation and the world. Greg, this is exactly what the Bible says must fall into place in the last days for the Antichrist to rule the world. America has to become neutralized and, and just be absorbed into the world. Israel has to be neutralized and absorbed into the world. It's funny, I often said this, our Constitution has to go. It's going to have to go for the Antichrist to rule and reign because we have limits in our Constitution about what others can be leadership in our nation. So it will at some point fall. We will lose our Constitution. I'm sorry for those of you that are patriots. I'm not saying I don't love my country and we shouldn't be patriotic, but I'm telling you biblically, it's going to go. It's interesting. I was listening to Israeli news today, and the commentator said that they believe eventually that the sovereignty of Israel will dissolve. So the very thing that I know is going to happen here that has to, they're admitting is going to happen there in Israel. Some of them are. And all of this is necessary, although painful, in order for the Antichrist to bring the world together in a one world government, all under unity under him, with him as the president of the world, if you will, ruling and reigning. Now, what I find interesting is the same spirit that had the power to come in and make these changes that just happened in our nation is now making the same changes in Israel. We'll see it if it happens. But Greg, here's my point. If it happens, this is much larger than politics. It's much larger than people. This is, I believe, demonic. And I believe you're watching Satan now formulate the world and the two major players, America being the most powerful nation in the world, Israel being the central focus of God and of prophecy and end times events. This focus now, these are now being neutralized and blended into a more liberal mindset a more joining the world together mindset, all these kind of things that are going to come in, such as the digital mark of the beast, and all they're all going to be more readily accepted, losing sovereignty, uh, opening up borders. This is all this is all, I believe, led by the spirit of Antichrist, getting us ready for the appearing of the Antichrist. And um so it's it's sad but exciting at the same time. All right. Uh, Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine, which is really what we were talking about earlier, which will eventually lead to. Uh, this is from uh, the AP, uh, dated May 25th. Russia deploys nuclear-capable bombers to Syria for, quote-unquote, training. Yeah, again, we're watching the formulation of this battle that's going to take place on Israel's border sometime soon. The Bible tells us the Russian military said Tuesday it has deployed three nuclear-capable long-range bombers to its base in Syria, a move that could strengthen Moscow's military foothold in the Mediterranean. Russia's defense ministry said the three Tu-22M3 bombers have arrived at the Haimim Air Base, and I may have said that wrong, uh, located in Syria's coastal province of Latakia, and the main hub for Moscow's operations in the country. The ministry said the bomber crews would fly a series of training missions over the Mediterranean. Uh, It's a supersonic twin-engine long-range bomber, which is capable of carrying nuclear weapons and has a range of 3,100 miles. Russia has waged a military campaign in Syria since September 2015, allowing Syrian President Bashar Assad's government to reclaim control over most of the country following a devastating civil war. Again, this is just showing you, now it's heating up even more. Greg, why do you bring in long-range bombers from Russia into Syria. There is no reason to do that unless there's the potential thought of a future escalation. There just isn't. This is how militaries work. So once again, we're seeing Russia turning up the military potential of what could happen right there on the border of Israel and that we know will happen from Ezekiel 38 and 39. What I picture is, you know where you've got a big brother and a little brother, and the, the little brother's trying to take a swing at the big brother, yeah, and the big brother's arm length is so long, he just reaches out and pushes against the head of the little brother, yeah, and he's so far away that he can swing all he wants, that's right, but he can't hit his older brother, that's right. Okay, that's the Russian bombers are the big brothers, the older brothers, yeah. long arm, yeah, they are, and and what it's doing is it's saying to these other people, yeah. 
don't even think about coming close. Yeah. And what that's going to, I think what would allow, in part, if, if it comes to play as part of Ezekiel, would be to keep everyone at bay while they amass the ground troops and everything prophetically that Ezekiel says is yeah. going to happen. That's yeah. what came to my mind when I saw the story. I don't know if that'll happen or not. but You may very well be right. And remember, Greg, when the battle takes place, you're going to see the other nations of the world yeah. saying, yeah. why are you doing this? But they take no, no action. action. That may be the deterrent right there. All right. uh, Back here in America. Oh, boy. This is uh, interesting. Uh, We were talking about this before the broadcast. This is from CNSnews.com. Over 40% of young adults don't believe, don't know, or don't care that God exists. That's almost half of our future nation. The Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University recently released the results of three surveys on religion. It revealed that most Americans do not hold to a biblical worldview, no surprise there, so they're not using the Bible as their standard. Rather, they embrace a mixture of competing interpretations, many of which are grounded in one version of secularism or another, being more like the world. I think they call that syncretism. Okay. When they, when, uh, the blending of all of these beliefs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, there are other findings of more specific nature uh, that also merit our attention. The decline of a Judeo-Christian culture extends back decades, uh, but it took until recently to see the full fruit of the development on the entire on an entire generation. More than four in ten millennials born between eighty-five and oh two say they either don't believe, don't know, or don't care if God exists. That is so sad and so shocking. A Barna Group uh, Impact 360 Institute study found that three quarters of teens and young adults agree uh, that what is, and I quote, morally right and wrong changes over time. So you can't have right forever and you can't have wrong forever. That's nuts. 31% strongly agree. 43% somewhat agree. These two findings are strongly related. Indeed, the former explains the latter. If um, as taught from K graduate school, K through graduate school, rather, that God is a, a chimera. It follows that there is no such thing as... He's a as, chimero? Yeah, yeah chimera. C-H-I-M-E-R-A. Oh, sorry. Yeah, different one. Okay. Uh, there's no such thing as an objective truth, they say. Of course, if that were true, then those who believe this would have no moral grounds to protest, um, you know, really anything, basically. He goes on to talk about it. There's no God. Everything's permitted. Anyone who thinks such an idea has benign consequences knows nothing about history, he goes on to say. Here's the bottom line, and Greg, we talked about this, uh, again, as you said before the show, uh, and that is, in 1962, we took prayer out of America schools, and in 1963, we took the Word of God out of America schools, and anyone who knows anything was saying at that time, and we've said it before, uh, you are going to, at that point, lose that next generation to just chaos, moral corruption, because you're taking the standard. There's no standard of right and wrong. Now we're seeing the fruition of that. We're seeing the fruit of that. We've, we've taken away from our kids the Word of God and a standard. We've taken the ruler of right and wrong out of the way, and now everyone decides what they think is right, what they think is wrong, and there's nothing you can stand on, so it, it leads to total chaos. Without God's Word showing us right and wrong, anything goes, and now we're bearing the fruit of that. It's going to be tragic for this next generation, Greg, and it's already tragic for us. This is, this is horrible. Yeah. All right, Pastor Mark. Let's get into some One World Economy news uh, for episode 170. This is from CNBC.com. The Fed is pushing a digital dollar as central bank currency race heats up. Yeah. Yeah, this is interesting. A lot of the um, uh, One World Economy. And also, I link this to the mark because it's going to be digital. But again, this is the One World Economy stuff right here. Notice Federal Reserve Governor L. Brainerd. Uh, pressed the case for a digital dollar, saying Monday that cryptocurrency backed by the central bank could provide a variety of benefits, uh, financial services to nearly one in five Americans considered underbanked is one of the advantages. <laughs> uh, I think we're all underbanked. I know I am. Uh, Brainerd cited in a speech to a conference presented uh, at CoinDesk. Uh, she also cited the safety of the Fed back system as well as improvements in efficiency and cross-border payments, transactions between people in different countries. Uh, while stressing the move forward, she also said COVID-19 pandemic strengthened the need for a system like this in which a broad swath of the public 
has access to well-regulated digital money. Central banks around the world, they, they want the digital currency, and everyone's working toward that. In the United States, the pandemic led, it said, and I quote, to an acceleration of the migration of digital payments as well as increased demand for cash. Listen, I can tell you that. I, Greg, I actually ran into uh, a place that didn't take cash at all. I couldn't buy anything because it didn't take cash. And that's amazing. I, I've seen this where, well, we prefer not cash, use whatever, but mm-hmm. they, you, mean, you literally couldn't use cash. I think it was a Starbucks. I was like, yeah. we can't use cash. Anyway, um, this is exactly again up. what has to happen yeah. for a one world government again a one world rather a currency get rid of put them all in one it's digital nobody money never needs it's really brilliant yeah i mean this is brilliant what's going to happen here the antichrist doing all these things it's going to be brilliant because it's going to work worldwide it makes things easier but again we know that behind it are demonic spirits so what happens like at a sporting event pastor mark uh, years from now, yeah. and they're going to do the coin toss. Well, everything's digital. So, do you flip somebody in the air? And if they let, if they land uh, chip up, it's heads. And if they land chip down, it's tails. Yeah, I don't know. See, I How does that see, work? There's, we have to. Do, we have, that's going to be one of those listen, things. These are things that we need to work out. Yes, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that. Yes. How that falls how that, into place, quite literally. <laughs> all right. Growing anti-Semitism, this is from jpost.com. Turkey's anti-Israel obsession is reaching new heights. Yeah. You're talking about the rabid hatred yes. foaming at the mouth. It's supernaturally led. It is. And remember, Turkey's going to be one of these countries yeah. joining in with Russia and Iran to move on. They're ready. They're chomping at the bit to attack Israel, and they're really wanting the Temple Mount. They they want to turn everything into a mosque. And this is you see this fervor building. Turkey's anti-Israel rhetoric has rapidly increased during the past eight days of fighting the rhetoric targeting um, uh, israel and jews has reached such heights that the u.s has condemned turkey's president for anti-semitic comments no kidding while the u.s works to bring an end to the hamas war and this is dated but you still it brings the point that we want to bring in turkey is fanning the flames among its recent statements is that a man by Turkey to separate Jerusalem from Israel. The latest comment, again, you can't do that. That's their capital. The latest comments by Turkish President uh, Erdogan were to demand a separate arrangement for Jerusalem. He's saying Jerusalem can't be a part of Israel. It's, it should, again, this is nonsense. Since 2020, when Turkey turned Hagia Sophia into a mosque, again, a, a famous uh, church, if you will, there in Turkey, they turned into a mosque. The Turkish religious and political leadership of the AKP party, which supports Hamas, has sought to liberate, end quote, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is the mosque on the Temple Mount, and claims it will take over Jerusalem. So they're saying, look, everything needs to belong to Islam, and Jerusalem needs to belong to Islam, and the mosque, everything. So we want to—this is not new, but the fervor is building, Building. and believe me, when that door opens, these guys are going to run through. It's going to be exactly as the Bible says. Yeah. All right, Pastor Mark, our last article of the day is related to the church, and this is from Lifeway Research, where they have chronicled that Protestant church closures are outpacing church openings in the U.S. Yeah, this is really tragic. U.S. Protestant churches endured a difficult 2020, including the starting year with fewer congregations. In 2019, approximately 3,000 Protestant churches were started in the U.S., but 4,500 churches closed, according to an estimate from Nashville-based Lifeway Research. The Evangelical Research Organization analyzed congregational information from 34 denominations and groups representing 60% of U.S. Protestant churches to arrive uh, at the church plant and closure numbers of 2019. Here's why this is so disheartening. Again, you're watching the decline of the followers of God in our nation, and it's showing now in the decline of churches and the number not only closing, but fewer actually planting new churches. And again, 2020 didn't help it at all. A lot of churches have closed down because of COVID. But I will say this, the churches that stayed open and remained faithful in some form and fashion, I know taking precaution or whatever the case might be, those churches have been blessed. They've been blessed financially, and many of them have been blessed even in numbers yeah. of increase. I know, uh, you know, taking precautions, using wisdom, but watching churches grow, uh, those that stayed open, and um, and I think that God has blessed that. Um, but it's sad because we know that in the last days there's going to be a falling away. And Greg, you know what? We always wonder how's it going to happen. It, it just appears to be kind of a myriad of reasons. Uh, it's kind of just gradually happening. I think COVID was used in a, in a great way to cause a falling away. Huge way. And, and again, yeah. I want to encourage our listeners right now. 
If you're staying home and you're not going to church because of COVID, you need to reconsider. Again, I, I understand safety. Be safe. Use wisdom in whatever your precautions are. But you want to make sure that you don't accept just staying at home the rest of your life as your church. God said, do not forsake the assembling together as believers, especially as you see the day of my return approaching. <laughs> we see the day of his return approaching. We need to be in fellowship, use wisdom, but don't forsake the assembling together. God will bless you. And God's church is going to stand in the last days, although there will be a falling away. Don't yeah. be a part of that falling away. Don't do it. Isn't that interesting? In the midst of the great falling away, the Bible also says that the hates of, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That's right. The church is going to stand. For those that still stand with Amen. Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, folks. Thewaymedia.net is all the ways that you can consume our program, Signs of the Times, as well as you can check out other content that we offer at thewaymedia.net or download the Way Media app. Episode 170 is in the books, but we've got another week's worth of prophetic news that's churning in front of us as we speak, and we'll talk about all of it next Friday at 1.30 as we discuss more Signs of the Times right here on WIAM. follow rules. You don't rebel because most of these rules have benefits that you understand. These rules can keep you out of trouble and keep trouble from accepting an invitation you didn't mean to send. Rules are easy to follow when they're practical, but a little harder when you don't see the benefit. That's where people make a rule-breaking mistake, but they aren't meant to be broken. They protect. They aren't meant to condemn. They're made to free you to do the right thing. WIAM 101.1 FM, The Way.